You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. The retirement feature on Classic Business is brought to you, as always, by Liberty and a very interesting report released this week by Riscura. It's Bright Africa 2020 Pensions Research, and it underscores why securing sufficient long-term savings for Africa's youth is so essential and addressing the informal sector on the continent and really re-looking the assets that pension funds can gain access to for greater growth are critical uh, to this end. Gerald Gondo uh, joins us now from Riscura. Uh, Gerald, Riscura. Gura is one of the foremost consultancies in the pensions and alternative asset space in Africa. Welcome to the show. While Africa's youthful population has long been a strength, it does pose challenges too. How have longevity expectations changed across the continent? Thanks very much for the opportunity, uh, Mike, and good to catch up with you again. Um, we, we, we are very excited to release this uh, um, brief of, of Bright Africa. Uh, we started in 2013 and it's grown from then. And uh, what's quite topical at the moment is we tackled this concept of uh, which has been propelled uh, consistently in that Africa has a youthful cohort. And that's not certainly contested. Uh, the demographics speak to that. But what of the savings of those demographics? And more importantly, as this youthful cohort benefits from you know, health, uh, advances and, and, and being able to really to live longer, um, what does that mean in terms of the savings base and what does that mean in terms of mortality tables and what does that mean in terms of creating savings for people that are going to uh, live for a lot longer. And within the report, uh, encouraging people to obviously read it, is that you, essentially what you're seeing is that people are living anything from between 13 years to 21 years longer. Now, you know, that's a long time. Uh, you actually need to budget for living uh, a lot longer in, in a very different world and how are we creating pensions and saving systems to 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 uh, uh, to, to meet that uh, that challenge particularly in africa a massive challenge and one of the numbers that stood out for me in the report is that the the rate of growth in that particular area has been uh, almost exponential if you look at the number of people who are over 65 uh, in 1975, there were 13.1 million people in Africa mm. at that mm. stage. That increased to just over 41 million uh, in 2015, so just six years ago, and is expected to reach 150.6 million by 2050 and well over half a billion people by the turn of the century. So, I mean, that growth is ap a absolutely exponential. And I suppose the big issue here in Africa in particular is the informal nature of work. Uh, and and that tends to go hand in hand with people not saving formally. What what are you picking up here? Well, exactly, and that's that's kind of like the the, the dichotomy here. In that, you know, uh, we are fortunate enough uh, to to be uh, uh, um, employed within the formal sector, but my aunt, cousin, brother, and sister may not be mm. right. But that doesn't mean they're not economically active. Uh, and and you know, the, the taxman must now figure out for him for himself or herself. How are they going to capture that economic activity that then goes into uh, the tax base for each for each country? Because that is also equally important. Social security is dependent on uh, on fiscal support, and fiscal support is also dependent on on uh, contributions of taxation. Uh, 
and and what we are seeing with many African governments and regulators is to say, well, if 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 Moses won't go to the mountain, the mountain must go must come must come to Moses, and the mountain is the large cohort of of my brothers and sisters who are working informally, economically active, and you know if you can capture a portion of the economic activity uh, in the form of taxation and in the form of long-term savings, you're going to quadruple, if not you know, multiply the, the, the savings available for them for a time when they are not able to be mm. economically active. And I think that's the crux of the matter and that mm. we mustn't be deluded by the current narrative of saying we're young and we've got a huge demographic dividend because we won't stay long forever and we need to create a social security base and a savings base that will cater for the time when we're not young enough to be economically active. And the converse of that is that if we don't do that, uh, there's this uh, coin that's you know well propounded called black tax. All you're doing is that you are essentially deferring the uh, mandate to look after the the, the aged people in Africa mm-hmm. to to the youth, which yep. which uh, which is a massive tax uh, on, on for the youth in the future. So 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 the thinking and the implementation around um, uh, innovative savings. Uh, for the youthful cohort that we have now has to happen now uh, and, and can't be deferred any further. Absolutely. That is uh, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for policymakers when it comes to thinking about long-term intergenerational wealth accumulation across the continent. How do we deepen these pools of savings in a micro kind of informalist type setting that, that Africa presents? And with that, you also see those pools of savings leading to greater rates of growth. I think there's a lot of um, economic exactly. research and theory exactly. that backs that up. What sort of policy interventions and responses are we seeing across the continent that could provide potential pathways and solutions here? It's certainly not a, a once-off hit. It's going to come in iterations. And the first iteration that we've seen is the concept called micro-pension, which you know, the likes of Nigeria, the likes of Kenya, uh, even the likes of Egypt are, are trialing. So to say, well, you know, there's an informal sector person who's economically active. Maybe he's earning a dollar or two dollars a day, and we need to find a way in terms of capturing ten cents on the dollar or even five cents on the dollar every day, such that when that person reaches the age of 65 or 70, we've captured a, a microcosm of the of their annual or, or, or their daily uh, their daily revenue in terms of of savings and they can live off that. And, and because there's so many of us in Africa that are working informally, that's a massive savings pool already. And how do we go about doing that? Now, you can't ignore the fact that every one of us is walking around with a cell phone in Africa. Yep. The cellular phone technology and, and the likes of M-Pesa and, and other uh, type of uh, mobile phone technologies that enable us to essentially create digital wallets that can now capture and, and are at the, front, at the forefront of economic savings and economic activity in Africa are very easy mediums to now capture you know, daily savings for, for uh, a lot of uh, informal uh, workers and informal economic uh, active uh, uh, Africans on the continent. 
So uh, we've got this massive challenge. Equally, we've got this technological revolution that offers us the tools and uh, the ability to to tackle that challenge uh, and come up with solutions. I was chatting to the CEO of Vodacom, Shamil Jusib, uh, this week uh, at the at the announcement of their results, and he's mm. very excited about the, the the kind of the data they have at their disposal and how they're using this with AI and machine learning to help provide tailored financial solutions, uh, micro um, credit advances, being able to assess someone's credit worthiness based on when they're active on their phone at the time of day they get up in the morning. It really is remarkable. So it is now focusing that in on how we can use this to address these big picture challenges. From an asset allocation perspective, how are African pension funds currently approaching this, uh, this dilemma in terms of asset allocation to ensure that they can provide for for members who are living a lot longer progressively and and, and we're encouraged to see that so historically you know uh, what you would call savings for the traditional institutional saver in, in Africa was by a government bond but that's changing mm. uh, they're realizing the fact that uh, other than buying government bonds you do need to support the development and integration of African capital markets so you're seeing a transition away from you know high 90% to even 100% allocation to government bonds uh, to traditional equities uh, listed or public equities uh, in a lot of African countries and, and we touch on that in Bright Africa and that you know part of that is to now increase the liquidity that you're seeing in African public equity markets. Um, as I'm looking out the window right now I'm seeing uh, a new road being being built uh, in, in Nairobi which was not existent before so African uh, pension funds are now looking at infrastructure and ensuring that we're channeling savings towards those economically productive assets that will become multipliers in the future. And I'm seeing a lady who's selling fat cooks on the side of the road that's going to feed the workers that are building that infrastructure. All of that is channeling into diversification of asset classes. Is it happening as quickly as we want? No. And we're encouraging policymakers to expedite that. But it is all uh, a, a progressive journey to ensuring that mm. the asset allocation across our pension funds uh, is not only towards uh, what, what are uh, generically called uh, risk-free assets, but are now migrating towards riskier assets, which will give you a, a higher rate of return. But more importantly, those riskier assets are translating into the real economy right. and tangible benefits for, for the citizens. And that's a conversation we've been having in South Africa for some time around Regulation 28. Uh, we've seen Certainly. the amendments uh, which have been published for public comment. I think there are some quibbles around the definition of what is infrastructure to, to broaden that a little bit. But overall, how much of this needs to be driven via potential regulatory reforms to unlock and unleash this uh, pool of private sector capital to invest in real assets like infrastructure that can then create this positive feedback loop economically? Look, it's a multi-stakeholder conversation and, and I think it's a, it would be uh, incorrect to say only one stakeholder has the greatest voice. Um, I think there is an appreciation of the fact that pension funds by definition are regulatory animals, right? You're, you're saving for the future prudentially uh, for, the, for the man and the woman on the street who, who, who needs that prudential guidelines to make sure that that those savings are not eroded. But similarly so, you do need to take cognizance of the fact that um, the liability profiles of various pension funds are different. So a one-size-fits-all kind of solution is not the answer either. And similarly so, 
Um, pension funds are, are multi-stakeholder type of animals. So you may have a pension fund that's in the construction sector. So by virtue of their main contributors being involved in the construction sector, if you are then saying infrastructure is related to creating more buildings or built infrastructure, that has resonance to pension funds that are contributing to the construction sector. Mm-hmm. But you may have pension funds that are involved in other sectors like data, like technology, like healthcare, of which infrastructure is needed in those sectors. And there's those sectors have resonance for those members. So it certainly is not a, yeah. a one-sided discussion and it, it, it does compel us to have a, a multi-stakeholder discussion, um, but certainly it should not be, be, be prescribed for that very reason is that there are yep. nuances and, 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 and requirements that differ from pension fund to pension fund. Absolutely, Gerald. Are we seeing at least uh, pension funds starting to uh, increase their allocations to the likes of private equity, for example, uh, because it has been a difficult bridge to cross for local pension funds as local uh, private equity associations have been educating trustees and uh, and bringing their asset consultants into the conversation to help demystify and, and, and kind of de-risk the asset class in yeah. the eyes of yeah. these uh, capital allocators. Is that having a result? Are we seeing the, the, the tangible benefits or not yet? We believe so. Um, I think uh, in certain parts of Africa, some some countries are further ahead than others. So, so South Africa has a very well-developed private equity and venture capital uh, sector. Uh, pension funds are very familiar with the asset class. Um, there are very clear policy frameworks that, that govern the asset class, that, thus making it easier for, for long-term uh, institutions to, to, to allocate to the asset class. In other parts of Africa, it's nascent, but that's fine. Um, you, you can borrow and you can leapfrog from other parts of the continent that are a little further ahead and apply that uh, those learnings to, 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 to countries that are, 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 are a little behind. Uh, and, and we use the example of, of East Africa where, you know, in, in, in 2000, the, the pensions and savings sector was probably less than a billion dollars. It's now north of $12 billion. <laughs> um, but your private equity and, 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 and venture capital associations there or the sectoral allocation is still less than 1%, right? Yeah. But the, the East Africa is, is, is probably a, 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 the fastest growing area alongside the likes of Nigeria and West Africa in terms of the next Silicon Valleys and the next uh, venture capital uh, industries and the next uh, private equity industries. That will grow with time. But what's most important is to create the policy environment and, and, and the, 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 the right uh, policy framework to allow for long-term capital to flow into these asset classes, yeah. which the regulators are doing. Well, that is encouraging uh, and a fantastic research report, as always, by Riskira, raising uh, awareness of, of the problems. That's certainly there and now coupling it with all of these uh, firm intentions to solve them and technological and, and regulatory solutions. Gerald Gondo, Business Development Executive for Africa at Riskira, with the retirement feature here on Classic Business, as always, brought to you by Liberty. Liberty partners with you to get you retirement ready however and whenever you pick to retirement. Speak to a financial advisor today to achieve the financial independence to live your ideal retirement. Hashtag retire my way. Hashtag in it with you. Liberty Group is an insurer and authorized FSP. T's and C's apply.